Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. This is Genesis 29. Uh, We're going to take this apart in two sermons. And this is uh, what I've titled the law of reaping and sowing. But to give you the context, this is the situation where Jacob is going out to find a wife and he goes to Haran to find his uh, wife and he gets tricked by Laban. And you know the whole story. He gets tricked. He thinks he's going uh, to marry Rachel and then he gets tricked and he ends up marrying uh, Leah uh, or Leah and, and then he has to work another seven years to get Rachel. So it's, it's, it's a whole situation to where Jacob is getting that which he dished out. So Jacob, if you recall, deceived his own father, pretended to be Esau. Remember that? Put on the clothes of Esau, put on the hairy garments, and, and, and his mom even helped in the situation where she uh, created a stew that was tasty like venison, but it really was goat meat and, and, and tricked the dad into thinking that he's Esau. And then the dad gave him the patriarchal blessing. And if you recall, the patriarchal blessing was automatically given to him no matter what, because Esau had sold his birthright. So Jacob didn't need this scheme. He didn't need to lie. He just needed to trust God and let God work the situation out. But he starts manipulating. So he ends up lying to his dad. Okay, we studied that. And then what happens is Esau is infuriated and Esau rewrites history and things of that nature. And so even though he sold him the birthright legally, Esau wants to kill him for doing this. And so mom hears about this and says, you got to get out of Dodge. He's going to kill you. Um, so he, she tells Isaac, Hey, look, let's send the boy out, go find a wife, send him back to Haran where our family is. And he maybe can find a wife over there. So get him out of Dodge, uh, because he could be killed by Esau. Okay. So on the way he starts out and then he has this miraculous vision from God. And it's what we call Jacob's ladder. Or really it's a stairway, Jacob's stairway. And we talked about that and we studied that, that, that God was reaffirming that the Abrahamic covenant is going to Jacob, not Esau, and that God is blessing him and he will be a blessing to the nations. And uh, he saw the stairway to heaven, which we, we talked about being Christ, the Messiah, that Christ is the, the, the stairway or the, 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 the ladder, if you want to call it, between heaven and, and earth. And he's the mediator in which we get to God, Right. And he sees this, this beautiful vision. Okay, and so God reaffirms everything, which is fine. But now God is gonna work specifically on Jacob because yes, that he's gonna be the carrier of the covenant, which is gonna produce the 12 tribes of Israel, produce the nation of Israel, and out of the nation of Israel comes the Messiah. So there's a heavy burden here, but here's what he has to do. He has to start working on Jacob's own character because Jacob has flaws in his character. He has gaps in his game. And one of the gaps is, one, he tricks people and manipulates people as part of his way of managing life. And God's got to get that out of him. And the other thing is Jacob is too self-reliant. You'll see in the story that he just goes about life in his own way. He has the mentality of like this, I got this one. So you'll see in the story, he doesn't pray, never ask God's advice. He is a believer, but he simply just walks his own pattern. 
And those two things need to be taken out of him. So you know how God's gonna take it out of him? He's gonna dish up to Jacob that which he dealt out. He will get a taste of his own medicine. And this is where we get the law of reaping and sowing. And, and so the, the, the passage that, that, that encapsulates this principle is do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will uh, he also reap, which is Galatians 6, 7. And this, is, this principle is a very difficult principle. It's, it's a very sobering principle. And, 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 and let me explain this. God has put spiritual laws in the universe that if you break those spiritual laws, this is what happens to you. And this is what you have to understand about reaping and sowing. Uh, this has nothing to do with forgiveness. If we confess our sins, we repent, God will forgive us. No doubt about that. That's easy to understand. But this is about consequences that come in our lives, even regardless if we're forgiven. And, and the way the laws of nature work that God has instilled is whatever you dish out eventually comes back to you. That's a hard pill to swallow. And, and, and look, as a parent, I can, I can tell you this. Look, you raise your kid in such a way and, and, and you, you raise your family and, and you hope for the best. But then when your kids get older, you start seeing your own medicine come back to you. And that is, that is something that like is very sober and you're, and you, you're like, oh, man, I wish I could go back and do things differently, but it's too late. They're adults now and they're dishing to you the, your medicine that you dished to them. And uh, someone has said and jokingly said this, be careful how you treat your kids because they're the ones going to be taking care of you in the convalescent home, right? And, and so what you give out is what you're going to get back. But it is a sobering principle, there's no doubt about it. But God's gonna use it to teach Jacob a lesson. Jacob, you like to manipulate? You wanna lie to people? Then I will have the ultimate liar mess with you, which is Laban. And Laban is, is the con artist of the con artists. Ja Jacob can't even touch him with a 10-foot pole, this guy's so much of a con artist, okay? And, and, and so he's gonna give Jacob a taste of his own medicine. So... Let me take this principle and apply it on a broader level. Okay, so we're gonna look at Jacob. We're gonna make, apply it personally, but let's look at it on society level. Just like I said about the prophecy update, and you see this craziness. Should we all be shocked by it? I mean, we, 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 we are in one sense that I can't believe what I'm seeing, but what's been happening decade after decade after decade after decade in America and the West? We have been allowing these creeps to infiltrate every sector of society and we think that we can sit down with them and have tea and reason with these people, but they have taken over and they're introducing a foreign God, a foreign religion into the West and they're taking down the West. So look at this. If you, if you don't think this is happening, the stats don't lie. Gen Z is the least religious generation yet. More than one third or 34% of Generation Z are religiously unaffiliated. What, what happened here? It's not an accident. Oh, I, I don't know how that happened. I can tell you, my generation, the millennials raising kids, didn't take their kids to church. They don't teach them about God. They don't do anything with them. It's all about having an experience, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, making the, the kid a king and queen. The kid don't feel like going to church or whatever. Okay, that's fine. We're not gonna go. And, and so you have a generation that is the most ungodly generation in US history ever. This shouldn't it come as a shock? 
Because at the same time, we see this, you know, top cardinal warns the Vatican must stop bowing down to LGBT and woke ideology. When people say, well, that's the Catholic church, that's the Pope, that has nothing to do with me, I'm a Protestant. Hey man, wake up. The Protestant churches are just as bad. They're producing wokeism. Dude, I was in Australia and, and, and uh, uh, New Zealand. I've been in Europe in several countries. The problems we're having with wokeism is 10 times greater in these other countries. 10 times greater. The pastors are woke. The churches are woke. And they're pushing this ideology, which is nothing but Babylonianism, irreligion, uh, and lawlessness throughout the entire church. So uh, yeah, I mean, wh why is the church bowing down to this? It's crazy. Look at this. I don't know if the guy tried to match his mustache with his hair, but they do match. And his eyelashes are very long. But understand this, this is National Geographic names drag queen and climate activist, ah, traveler of the year. I thought I was traveler of the year. I've been going all over the globe for goodness sake. But not, no, it's not me. It's this guy that matches his mustache with his wig. Um, how did we get here? This is not an accident. Well, you've been allowing the door to be open, not you and me, but the culture has been allowing the door to be open to this, to where this is totally acceptable by National Geographic. It's crazy. Now, look at this. This is Seattle. And you think, well, that's only in Seattle. No, it's not. It's here too. It's all over the place. It's in California. It's everywhere. Seattle high schools were told uh, that worship of the written word is white supremacy because of it. Uh, it is an erasure uh, of the wide range of ways we communicate with each other. Now, what do you mean? This was in an English class. And the kids are told that the written word of word, not the written word of God, but the written word uh, is white supremacy. Because, you know, it's your life experience that trumps uh, objective truth or absolute truth. It's, it's your feelings that trump uh, objective truth. And think about this. This is in, in, in English in Seattle. Instead of reading Shakespeare or instead of reading Chaucer or instead of uh, reading the Iliad or the Odyssey or whatever, you know, classic that we have in Western society, Here's what the English teachers are giving the kids. Nine characteristics of white supremacy. This is what they're reading, okay? Here's what they gave out. And again, in letter E, honoring only, uh, only what is written. It's total, total uh, critical race theory being given out. Should we be shocked? No. You send your kids to public schools, this is what they get. It's not just, it's not just there, it's here in Bakersfield, Okay. There's ex explicit books that they give out to the kids here in Kern County. It's all this junk. And these teachers have an agenda that they're trying to accomplish. They're not trying to teach English or math or science. They're having an agenda, a social agenda. Now, this is in Mexico, not the United States, but in Mexico, just to show you that it's beyond us. This guy gets in trouble, this lawmaker, because he referred to this transgender dude trying to pretend to be a girl as a dude. And of course, look what the transgender said. Of course, they should be punished. It's hate speech. It's hate speech is the precursor of hate crimes. When you see that, you have to understand they're gonna use us saying we have a difference of opinion as hate, that we disagree with the LGBT lifestyle. We disagree with transgender. Oh, that's hate. We're gonna shut you down. That's where it's going. And look what Germany's doing. Just to show you, when you reap to the, the wind, you reap a whirlwind. Look what's happening. So Germany plans to um, do a pre-crime surveillance. A pre-crime. Okay, that means the person hasn't committed a crime, but we're gonna do pre-crime surveillance and prosecute far-right 
uh, uh, types of people who disagree with the narrative in Germany. Don't think for a moment this is not going to come to the United States. As they, as they look at your, your social media or what you're putting on there or what you're putting out, they're going to say, uh, you're inciting violence. We're going to shut you down. You're committing a crime even though I haven't done anything. That's where this is going. And again, sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. And now the new thing is they want you to stop eating meat uh, because in, in their crazy mindset, in the, in the global warming hoax, they say that animals contribute to about 30% of the global uh, warming, the uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which is nonsense. It's crazy, right? And so we're going to eliminate uh, cattle and, and pro animal protein, and we're gonna, we want you guys to eat crickets. And so Biden is now using taxpayer money to fund cricket research because that's the new protein they want us to eat. Now, again, this is stupid and ridiculous, and it's a hoax. And I was just in, in New Zealand, and the number one uh, industry in New Zealand is farming, okay, and ranching and, and animal and growing animal protein, sheep and cattle and whatnot. So the, I was talking to the farmers there, and they were saying, look, we're being put out of business. I said, what's happening? They go, they're putting a clamp down on how many animals we can raise because uh, X amount of animals produces X amount of greenhouse emissions, so we're having to reduce this. Uh, and, and basically, they're putting this out of business. They put the cattle out of business, the cattle ranchers and the protein ranchers, whatever, chickens or whatever. And then now they're putting other, uh, other industries out of business in California and around the world. Like, for instance, rice, they say, contributes to global warming, okay? Stupid. You're going to eliminate rice. You're going to eliminate protein. And then you're going to eliminate up and down the valley through water that you can't, you have to let your, your, your almonds, your, your, your grapevines go fallow. What do you think is going to happen with people? You're going to have starvation. That's what they're setting up. Now they say it's to, 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 to stop the global warming. It, it, that's, a, that's a lie. It's a human depopulation program. That's what it's about. Now, how did we get here? Again, you have to ask yourself, it just didn't happen overnight. What God is saying, when you reap here, these are the results you get in your society. So back here, years ago, something happened. This was allowed. And these creeps kept getting more power and more power. And the societies kept letting them have it to where they have full control of everything now. Full control. Now, here's what you want to say. Well, whose fault is it? Well, yeah, it's the societies, but mainly a lot of it can be traced to the church. See, the church in Western society was the backbone of Western society. It's what kept the moral anchor of the culture. But when you have churches that don't preach the, the truth or the scriptures or whatnot, and they do this kind of crazy stuff, then you obviously know that there's no moral anchor anymore. So this is an idiot pastor. Uh, if I, I, I say that loosely, um, who decides... Last Sunday during, during the you know, Super Bowl weekend that his church is going to do a Super Bowl-themed service, halftime show in the service, and he's going to ride on a wrecking ball like Miley Cyrus singing the song. Now, if you don't believe me, watch. This is the passage. I'm going to 
You, you know what now understand why we lost the culture? Yes, he, he, what, what kind of clown is that? Well, it only gets better. That's just one at one church. You want to see another church on uh, last Sunday? This is not Vegas, this is a church. I showed up That's the pastor. Ruined your black tire field. That's the pastor. Last one to know. Last one to show. I was the last one you thought you'd see there. That's the church. That's not an audience. That's the church. Surprise. With the green and the fear in it. There's the choir. But I toasted you, said, honey, we may be but you'll never hear me. Come on, say Cause I got friends in the old places where the whiskey drowns in the beer that chases my Where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. That's what the pastor is saying. I think I understand now why we've lost the culture because we have clowns like this who are entertaining goats. Huh? Should we be shocked that we have transgender woman of the year or whatever for National Geographic? No, no, not when the church is doing this. I, I don't understand. Methodist church, uh, Methodist church pastor accused of dealing crystal meth out of his parsonage. That's where we're at. That's what these guys do now. Unbelievable. Okay, that's my point. You sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. We shouldn't be shocked that our culture's out of control. But let's look at it on a personal level, on Jacob's level, and what God's trying to teach him so that we don't repeat the same thing and we don't have our medicine served up to us by God. So what happens here? So Jacob went out on his journey. And literally the Hebrew is, is, is funny in the way it says it. It says, and lifted up his feet. And he came to the land of the people of the East. Now, what, what, is, what is the Hebrew trying to say? What is Moses trying to say through this? It's trying to tell you that <clears throat> Jacob, in his mindset, thinks he has a fresh start, thinks he has a new start. Now, what did he come from? He came from a situation where he deceived his own father, okay? He got busted for that, and, and it was a whole mess, and then Esau wants to kill him. So... His simple solution and his mom's solution is, we'll just leave and go find a bride as an excuse to get out of the area so Esau doesn't kill you. So this idea literally that he lifted up his feet is, is, is kind of the idea of he's footloose and fancy free. He thinks he has a new start. He thinks his problems are behind him now that he has removed himself from where the problems are back home. You couldn't be further from the truth. That is a self-deception on his own part. Look, the principle is this. If you and I think that we can remove ourselves from the problem by physically removing ourselves and getting away, you're fooling yourself. Because you know what? You take your problems with you. You can't, how are you gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna go somewhere else? You take you with you. How are you gonna divorce yourself from yourself? So I don't care where you're at on the globe, your, your problems follow you. And this is his mindset, his, his feet are light. And they think, ah, fresh start. I'm getting away from everything and it's gonna be brand new and I can bury my problems. Don't ever have to worry about them again. 
Okay, here we go. And God is saying, you are out of your mind. You're going to learn the lesson that you can't run from problems, that it is, it is you that has a character default. And I'm going to show you and expose that character default in you because I want you to stop running. I want you to face who you are and change. I need you to repent, Jacob. This nonsense of beguiling people. I'm going to give you a taste of your own medicine. I'm going to send somebody to you that's worse than what you did that will put you in the slavery. And you will learn from that situation that you can't run. You need to face your problems. And the application is, here's the thing. The therapists of today, even the Christian counselors, will, and they even quote the Apostle Paul out of context. They'll say, well, forgetting what is behind, I press on. That is totally out of context. That's not what the Apostle Paul was talking about. If you think you're done with your past, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Your past is not done with you. You may try to bury it, pretend it didn't happen, deny it happened to you. Try, and, and some people even get amnesia on purpose. Okay, They actually will totally forget and they'll blank out on like what happened to them. That's not how we deal with our problems. Let me tell you how you deal with your problems. You go back into your past and you must deal with it with truth. What happened? What is the truth? Because truth sets you free. And in that, in that process of, of re-evaluating re, re your past with truth, you're gonna find that you have to repent. You're gonna find that you have to forgive. You're gonna have to find that you have to grieve the loss, which you refuse to do sometimes. You're gonna have to embrace the fall. And then you're gonna have to do all of that so you can get past it and heal and finally, those wounds will close up and, 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 and you'll be a whole person and getting that healing. But if you don't do that, you're broken and shattered through the rest of life. And he doesn't want Jacob to be like that. So let's go back to the story. Verse two. And he looked and saw, and Hene, um, it's gonna mention three times, I'm gonna come back to that. It, it mentions it three times, Hene. It's, it means behold, pay attention, wake up. Okay, so it's, it's gonna be mentioned three times and it's a reference to the previous chapter. And I'll get to that in just a bit. So what's in there? A well in the field. So he gets up, he goes up to Haran. He's in that area and he finds a well in the field. Now, why is that significant? Because wells in the Bible symbolize God's blessing. So if you find a well, well especially in a desert climate, then it's a blessing because the water is life-giving. Life giving out. So, there, so wells always connotate the idea, a symbol, symbolic of God's blessing. So he finds a well. Some theologians think that this is the same well that Abraham uh, was at. We're not sure. We're just not sure, but it might be, okay? Anyway, and behold, Hene, again, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all of the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And you're like, what is the big deal? Why is Moses going into detail about watering these animals and about the well? It's symbolic. Let me go back to the previous chapter two weeks ago when we studied this. When Jacob has his vision that God gives him about the stairway to heaven, right? The, the Jacob's ladder. And we, we said that that ladder represents Messiah 
And the whole vision is of the Abrahamic covenant to bless other people. Remember what Jacob's head was on, a rock or a stone. He used it for a pillow. But what we said is whenever you see a stone in the Hebrew scriptures, it is symbolic of the Messiah. And so the foundation of, of the Abrahamic covenant or the foundation of Jacob himself, as he lays down it, the foundation stone is Messiah. And we talked about that foundation stone being on the Temple Mount, on Mount Moriah, where the temple would be built. And eventually Messiah rules and reigns from that Temple Mount, okay? So anytime you see a stone reference in the Bible, it's symbolic many times of the Messiah. Remember, in, coming out of Egypt and Israel is in the desert wandering, what follows them according to the apostle Paul? A stone. Now one time, Moses made a mistake and struck the rock twice. You remember that? And that kept them out of the promised land. That rock is a symbol of Messiah, but striking it twice messed up the symbol. Why? Because Messiah will only be struck once, not twice. So when, when Moses hit it twice, that's it. He messed up the whole symbolism of the rock image, right? And so, so this mass message just continues on. And then you get into the New Testament and Messiah claims to be the stone. And he's the chief cornerstone and has become the capstone, obviously. So here's what you're seeing. There's an, a, a reference to that. And there's another stone here and it's in the presence of Jacob. And so you go from chapter to chapter, a stone, he, he, that, that pillar he laid on, he actually stood it up and made a pillar to memorialize God's presence and promises and provision with him. And now we're in the next chapter and another stone appears and it's over a well. What did I say a well represents? The outflow of blessing, okay? Keep following me on this. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Oh, how coincidental. What an accident. I just ran into my family members and which I'm gonna get a bride from. What you're seeing is the providence of God, the hand of God, the invisible hand of God, even moving Jacob, even though Jacob is not asking for wisdom, he's not praying, he's not saying, God, show me my new bride. He is self-reliant, but God is still steering him even though he doesn't know it. So he ran, runs into the right people. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? In the Hebrew, it's shalom. Is he, has he found shalom? Is he at peace? And they said, he is well. Yeah, Laban. This is the guy who's gonna teach Jacob a lesson. God is gonna use this guy to get the, 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 the manipulation out of him. Anyway, let's go back. And, he, and look, Hene. Oh, another behold, three times. His daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. How coincidental, how serendipitous. No, no, how providential. God's working through all this whole thing, despite Jacob not paying attention to God. But that not paying attention to God is gonna get him in trouble with Laban, okay? So a blessing is coming because he, 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 Jacob has to continue the line. And so God's gonna bring Rachel to him, but a lot more than that, because he's gonna have the 12 tribes of Israel. So he has to bring a wife. So God's gonna make sure this happens. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. And you're like, what is the big deal 
uh, about all this watering the sheep. And why is Moses going into detail? It's symbolic. And here's a clue. Here's a red flag. Jacob is in a new land. He's not at home anymore. He has traveled up north to the east to Haran. Okay, so he's out of the promised land. So he's not at home. He's not how it used to be. He's now out of the promised land. And here's the thing. Jacob doesn't see the traps set for him because he's not familiar with the customs of that world. He's not familiar with the wiles of those people that he's in. He's used to how he grew up in his family. So now he's outside in the world and he doesn't know their customs because he's saying, look, as a, as a professional shepherd, what you should do is, hey, let's water the sheep first, get them out, put them out the pasture, and then let's bring in the cattle, the bigger animals, and water them. That's what a professional shepherd does in my town, in my family. That's what we do. Look what they say. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And, and so, so in essence, they're saying, look, you might've done it that way at your home, but we don't do that here. We have a different custom. We water all the animals at the same time. That should be a clue. This should be a clue to Jacob to take a step back and say, wait a second, I'm on foreign territory I don't know the customs. I better go to God to ask him to help me navigate through this area that I don't know because somebody might pull a stunt on me and spring on me a custom that I'm not aware of that will entrap me in this foreign land. He's not doing that though. So what's the principle? The principle is you and I are on enemy territory. We're in a foreign land. When you became a believer, all of a sudden, everything went foreign to you. What do you mean? Well, you're, part, you're now in the world system that's controlled by Satan, and that world system goes against you. Satan and his dominions, and minions, I should say, are coming against you, so you have an enemy there, and then your own sin nature's turning against you. So you have these three instant enemies, and you're on enemy territory. The world, the flesh, and the devil are now your enemies, and this is not your home anymore. This is enemy territory. And here's the thing that you and I don't know. I don't know all the wiles of the devil. I don't know all the traps Satan has set for me. I don't know all the, the traps demons have set for me. And nor do I know the devices of men and traps that are set against me. I think I better rely on God to navigate me through this wicked world and this foreign territory that I am because he sees all. He sees the traps that they're laying for me. He sees the pitfalls. So I better be in communication with him and getting wisdom, getting direction, getting lead from him in order to walk through this life. That's the point. And the issue then is becomes, oh, how do I do this? Well, prayer as you can see in the text, Jacob never, ever prays, which is a contrast to several chapters before when Abraham is trying to find a wife for Isaac. He sends his, his, his servant, Eleazar, and Eleazar is like down on his knees saying, Lord, send me the right woman. Let her be this, let her be that, and, and show me a sign if this is the right woman. And he's like totally in concert with God saying, show me, show me, show me. And God does, and he brings Rebekah to Isaac. And it was a match made in heaven. Jacob's not doing that at all. 
There's no prayer in all the text. There's no reference to God. And that is obvious what Moses is trying to show you. So we take it for granted, like we say, pray, study your Bible, fear the Lord. And then you'll have wisdom, discernment and spiritual watchfulness. Do not take for that for granted. It's, it's basic, but if you don't do it, you will go blind in this world. You will not see the devices of Satan. Now, let me show you something as a test. So I watched the Super Bowl and there's a lot of things to be grieved about about the Super Bowl. And I have a number of things I'm grieved about, obviously, but the Super Bowl is not about football. It's about the world's display of its grossness on television to everybody. It's the most watched event on the planet, by the way. And if I have to see Taylor Swift for the 12th time, guzzling alcohol with her, uh, uh, her witch or satanic friend of hers that was wearing the upside down cross and kept flashing the goat horns on her hands, I'm gonna puke, okay? But that was all contrived. CBS and the Super Bowl and the NFL wanted that, right? Because the Swifties, right? Uh, and a new voting population and whatnot. But this commercial was played. This commercial was supposed to be a Christian commercial, but it's not. But yet unsuspecting Christians watch this and because they don't read their Bible, because they don't pray, they can't pick this apart, this ad. And I'm gonna show you, okay? They don't understand what it's trying to do. And let me tell you, the people who are funding this are paying a big bunch of money to put this on the Super Bowl. It's like $20 million to put an ad on the Super Bowl, I believe. And the founder, and he's like, where, where did they get all this money? Because the Green family from Hobby Lobby is the one who pushes this. They are behind it along with other companies that are pushing this nonsense. Here's my test to you. If you know the scriptures and you pray and have discernment, you will be able to pick this video apart. If you can't, then you're lacking in discernment. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. I love your precious heart. I I was standing You were there Two worlds collided And they could never tear us apart We can live did you pick it up? What's the problem? First of all, if I understand the scriptures and I know the scene which Jesus washed, whose feet? Pilate's? Did he wash Pilate's feet? Did he wash the Sanhedrin's feet? Did he wash Ananias and, uh, sorry, uh, Annas and then Caiaphas? No, he didn't wash the Pharisees' feet. He didn't wash the prostitutes' feet. He didn't wash the tax collectors' feet. He washed the disciples' feet. First of all, that's the context then. So, what, so it's, I, I'm not required to wash the feet of a lesbian or a transgender or someone that's committing abortion or any one other vice that's against the law of God, 
What am I, what was the, the feet washing teach me? It teaches me this. He's washing the feet of the disciples who are the leaders of the coming church. And he's teaching them a lesson in ministry, not in reaching the lost. He's talking about ministry. What do you mean? Well, first of all, he washes their feet as a servant. Teaching them servanthood will be how you lead people. Second of all, the idea of washing the feet has to do with fellowship forgiveness, not salvation. So they're all saved, he says, except the one, which he was referring to Judas, okay? So the idea is he washes their feet and then he gets to Peter and Peter says, no, no, not mine. You're not gonna do mine. And he says this, if I don't, you have no part with me. That's not a salvation issue. No part with me is you will have no part with me in the kingdom as a ruler. And therefore, let's work backwards, Peter. If you don't have a part with me in the kingdom as far as ruling and reigning, it means that you have no part in my ministry here and now because you're not in fellowship with me. So in order to rule and reign with me, which you expect to do in the kingdom, you must be in fellowship with me. And once you're in fellowship with me, then you can minister with me and then I can reward you in the kingdom. That's, that's the teaching. So Peter, again, washes, he says, wash my whole body. He says, no, no, you've already been bathed. All I need to do is keep, you need to keep fellowship forgiveness with me so you can serve me so you can be rewarded. That is a message to believers, not unbelievers. So do you think the people who spent $20 million, Hobby Lobby and the other groups, know that? Apparently they don't. Or apparently if they do, they have an agenda. Oh, yes, right. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe they do have an agenda. I, this is what I pulled up off, off one of their videos. You tell me if they don't have an agenda here. Jesus was radically inclusive. That's diversity, equity, inclusion. That's the die, the die score. Oh, yeah. His love movement, love movement. Is that what we call his ministry? The love movement of the Messiah? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I don't know any phrase like that in the Bible. Counter to cultural norms and religious expectations of the day, many times his love was so radical that it even violated law. Excuse me, excuse me. Violated the law, what law are you referring to? Let me ask you this theological question. It's Bible 101. Did Jesus break any of the 613 commands of Moses? No, he says, I come to fulfill the law. So what law did he break? the pharisaical law, the man-made laws. He didn't break any of his own laws. He's the one who wrote them. You cannot say he violated. If you say Jesus violated the law of Moses, he cannot be the sacrifice for our sins. But he violated the law. I wonder if that's the same logic they're using on our border, that it's okay to break our laws and come in here thousands by thousands, 10 million since Biden got in, got in here. And Christians say, well, that's fine. Jesus broke the law. So illegal aliens can break the law too. I guess if that's the same logic, Jesus invited all to participate in the love. What, what, excuse, well, in the love? Are you some hippie from 1969 smoking dope? What are you talking about? Participate in the love. Jesus invited all to be saved. Otherwise you would be condemned, he said. But not everyone was interested. Whew. I, not that Jesus. 
The powerful and the wealthy were often threatened by Jesus' movement because it always resisted, notice this, systems of oppression. Thank you, that's Marxism. Oh yeah, uh, rules for radicals, hmm, yeah, hmm, yeah. After all, many benefited from oppressing. There's that word oppressing because Marxist has oppressor versus oppressed. That's the two categories they have, uh, oppressor and victim, right? After all, many benefited from oppressing. There's that term again, Marxist term, the poor, the sick, the women, and even certain races that Jesus embraced through his ministry, activism. Thank you very much. So Jesus is a basic, uh, uh, a revolutionary Marxist uh, liberation theology. He gets us wrote that. And remember Hobby Lobby is the one who funded that and other groups. Let me ask you this. You think most Christians out there would pick up on this? I don't. They just say, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that, that's, that's the Jesus I know. That's a counterfeit Jesus. Thank you very much. You see how important it is to know your word, to pray and have lead because if you don't, you'll go blind. You'll go blind to what they're doing out here. Let's go back to the text, verse nine. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came uh, with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Nothing wrong with that. Moses' wife was a shepherdess as well. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban and his mother's brother and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, his uncle, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Hmm. And watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So remember the shepherds say, we can't move the rock till everyone's here. And it's gonna take more than all of us. So somehow like Jacob has like Samson's strength or something like that. He uh, takes the rock and moves it by himself and allows the blessing to flow on, uh, on not only Rachel's flock, Laban's flock, but everyone else's. What's the lesson here? The principle is this. Jacob has taken on the responsibility of the Abrahamic covenant. When you take on spiritual responsibility, it comes with a price, you pay a price. But the, poor, the whole reason you take on that responsibility is to bless other people spiritually bless them. I'm not talking about social justice warrior stuff. I'm talking about blessing people spiritually, salvation, discipleship, whatnot, okay? And so what, what Jacob is evidencing is his responsibility to bless other people. And so, okay, so you're, you and I are not the carriers of the Abrahamic covenant, but we are part of the new covenant, which is connected to the Abrahamic covenant. And faith does have a responsibility in, in the church age. You and I are also responsible to bless other people in a spiritual way. And I'm not talking about giving a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to a homeless guy that's shooting up on drugs. That's not what I'm talking about. You are to bless people spiritually and, and, and whether it's salvation or discipleship, the physical needs are secondary to the spiritual needs, okay? But what you'll see is those who take on that responsibility are the hardest working servants you'll ever see. And Jacob, even though he's misguided in a lot of steps, he illustrates that he's industrious. He's a hard worker. He makes things happen and he blesses people. Now you wanna see this on a grander scale, what I'm trying to talk about? Jacob obviously is a typology for Israel, okay? Because Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Remember that after the wrestling match? Okay, so when you see Jacob blessing other people, it is a sign of what the nation of Israel is supposed to do under the Abrahamic covenant as well. The ultimate blessing being the Messiah. But let me show you something real quick. 
that a lot of people don't understand. But this is a carry through of the Abrahamic covenant. This is the same as Jacob taking the stone, removing it so the blessing can come out. Okay. In 75 years, since Israel has become a nation, they're going to be 76, I think, this, this May. <clears throat> they are the innovators of technology, innovators of robotics, innovators of translating other languages into a common tongue. They're innovators in 3D modeling, water desalinization and engineering, medical discoveries like there's no tomorrow, by the way, uh, heart, vision, bones, cancer, diabetes, Parkinson's, the whole nine thing, and even uh, nine yards, Medical robotics. Now, you guys ever see Luke Skywalker get his hand cut off by Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back? Okay, remember they, the, the, the robots put a new arm on Luke? Do you understand today, Israel is developing the technology where they have prosthesis that's a robotic arm that attaches to the person like in Empire Strikes Back? Oh, by the way, you ever had a colonoscopy? They're real fun, aren't they? Oh. Anyway, those of you who had, you know what a grueling thing that is. You have to drink the liquid the night before, and, be and after that, there's an explosion. There's an Armageddon in your intestines, right? And then you got to go get checked out the next day, and it's, it's a disaster. I, I, I hate it. I hate it. But you know what Israel has figured out? Israel said, you don't have to go through a colonoscopy, Brandon. Come to Israel next time you need a colonoscopy. And here's what we have invented. You know what they've invented? A pill that has cameras in it. Okay, it's the size of a pill. You swallow it and this camera goes inside of you and starts clicking off pictures, thousands by the thousands, off pictures as it goes through you. And then it comes out and then they can get the data from that camera and you don't need a colonoscopy because the camera went inside of you. Thank God. I wish the doctors here would start using that, but for some reason they don't want to do it. They want to do it the old fashioned way. But Israel's done that. Every farmer here in California needs to thank Israel for the agriculture. What do you mean? Israel invented the drip system. They, 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 they brought, we brought it over to California. Instead of using flood irrigation, we use the drip system. Thank you to the Jews. Now, one of the things ag tech has, has, has created in Israel is they have created a way where the pesticides will not seep down into the water table. They have developed that. They have perfected that. Then they're on the top of solar and wind. And think about this, Nobel Prizes. We're talking about physics, chemistry, highfalutin IQ types of stuff for Nobel Prizes, right? You gotta be like an Einstein to get Nobel Prizes, okay? 23% of Nobel Prizes are Jewish. But yet Jew, the Jews only represent 0.2% of the population. How is that possible? Let me take you back here. Jacob went near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Jacob's duty is to bless others. So he moves the stone away. So when you see 75 years, ask yourself this, just on that little piece of information there, let's compare Israel to Iran. Let's compare Israel to Saudi Arabia. Those dudes would be pounding sand if they didn't have oil. They have not invented anything other than terrorism. But yet Israel becomes a fledgling nation 75 years and look what they're blessing the Gentiles. Why did Paul say how much more would Israel bless the Gentiles if they were in faith? If they're blessing the people now like this. 
That's Jacob moving the, the rock and allowing the blessing of the will to come out. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. Don't think this is a romantic kiss. It's just he recognizes God's providence and he recognizes this is a, this is a relative of his and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. So he's celebrating this is God's providence, but something is lurking behind the scenes, guys. But let's talk about this, about the providence of God. God is directing our lives. There's no doubt about that. And he's directing Jacob's life to make sure he meets Rachel, meets Leah and gets in touch with his family because the 12 tribes of Israel are gonna come from this. And so what you see is the parallel with the word behold in the previous chapter and in this chapter. In the previous chapter, there was a ladder. In this one, it's a well. The, uh, the previous chapter, it's angels of God. and uh, this one, it's flocks of sheep. And, the, and uh, the focus in the last chapter was the Lord. And this chapter, it's, it's Rachel with the sheep. And it's with the word hene, behold. And again, it's symbolizing the providence of God. Okay, the good news is God is directing our lives, whether you know it or not, whether you pray or not, his invisible hand is, being, is moving through our lives. And this is the great thing about God's providence and this is how powerful he is. God can allow free will decisions of his creatures and still get his will accomplished. That's power. That's real power. And allow enemy infiltration with Satan and the, and the, and the demonic forces of darkness to do their stuff and even uh, you know, the cough swabs of the world and the Bill Gates to do their stuff and still not thwart the plan of God. That's power. That's providence. But let me make this note to you. This is not an excuse for pagan fatalism. That yet God's in control of your life and for you to sit back and say, I can't do anything. I don't even need to pray because God's gonna accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish and so be it. If you take on pagan fatalism, that is not how God wants you to act. Yes, he's in control of your life, but you have to stay connected. Because what's happening here is he's meeting somebody that's gonna deceive him. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. Oh, isn't that great? He's been great old uncle and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my, uh, bo uh, my bone and flesh, my flesh. That's going back to Genesis, Adam said to Eve. And he stayed with him for a month. Sounds great. Mrs. Uncle, oh, wait a second. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Excuse me, when did this idea of serving come into play? Tell me, what should your wages be? Please note this. This is a deliberate trap and Jacob doesn't see it. This is a trap. And God has given Jacob a taste of his own medicine. He's gonna use his daughters, especially Rachel, to trick him. And notice what he says, serve me for nothing and what will your wages be? Well, the wages will be his daughter. You want, a, you want one of my daughters? Then you will become a slave to me. Oh, wait a second. This Sounds eerily familiar. That's right. When you get a taste of your own medicine, the things you dished out come actually back to you. What do you mean? He's going to become a slave to Laban for the next 20 years. He's going to become a slave to him. 
because he's, he's tricked. But wait a second, let's go back to when he tricked his own father and pretended to be Esau, the elder. What was said in the prediction of the two boys in the womb? The older will be a slave or serve the younger. Oh, so Jacob, you wanna manipulate that to where your older brother serves you. Is that what you want? Because I told you this would happen, but you're taking it up on yourself that you have to create this, right? So, so you, you remember that, right? So let me teach you a little thing about slavery. Since you delight in it so much about your older, bro older brother having to become a slave to you, I will teach you what it is to be a slave for the next 20 years. If you delight in what I, I said. So he's setting up for a trap. And the trap, Jacob can't even see it. Here's the, here's the application before we go. Why can't he see it? This is the medicine he dished out. How come we can't see it when we dish out the medicine and it comes back to us, we don't recognize it. You're like, I don't understand why these people are treating me like this. Because you did it 20 years ago. You did it 25 years, you did it 30 years ago, and now it's coming back to you, and you can't even recognize it. You can't even see the trap that's being set for you, that you're gonna get your own medicine dished out. How come you won't see it? It comes back to this, going back to the past and pretending that didn't happen, not processing the truth that what happened in your life and how you need to make amends, forgiveness, repentance, and, and stop the nonsense. But what did Jacob do? buries it and runs. I'm away, foot loose and fancy free. All my problems are behind me. Free start, all new, fresh, it's over. No, no, what did, I say? what did we say the past does? It follows you. So Jacob, at the key of this, is he's not honest with himself. He refuses to be honest with himself and say, man, I screwed up and I need to change. And I can't stay this way. Otherwise, I'm going to be corrupted and get worse. You remember, you, here, let me give you an application. You ever wonder why the people around you annoy you so bad? No, that's true. I mean, that's what happens. And you're like, man, I can't stand being around that guy or I can't stand being around that girl or whatever. And they annoy you so bad. Do you know why? Because they're dishing the medicine back to you. Because at one point in your life, you were like them or you're currently like them or what God is trying to show you is you're gonna become like them if you don't stop. Oh, so the irritants in your life are not just to irritate you, they're to cause you to look at yourself and say, oh my goodness, that's me. That's right, that is you. I told you, this is a hard-hitting message. This is not for tiptoeing through the tulips, okay? But my plea to all of us and you and I is we got to be introspection, have introspection about ourselves and be honest with ourselves. And if you can be honest with yourself, you can stop a lot of these consequences from happening to us and getting a taste of our own medicine. I beg you, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Jacob's life. We had a lot more to learn from him, but boy, howdy, scary. The law that you have set in this universe of reaping and sowing. Wow. Help us, Father, to be introspective, to be honest with you, honest with ourselves, to do what we need to do to fix ourselves 
uh, through, the, through the, 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 the tools that you have given us through your word and prayer and deliverance for that you provide. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that hasn't come to faith in the Messiah, today would be the day of their salvation. They would understand Jesus paid for all of their sins on the cross. He was the perfect lamb. He died and was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who believes. Speak to hearts now as we go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.